So the first reading today is from uh, the book of Isaiah, chapter 49, verses 1 to 13. It's Isaiah 49, verses 1 to 13, on page 669 of your Pew Bibles. Coastlands, listen to me. Distant peoples, pay attention. The Lord called me before I was born. He named me while I was in my mother's womb. He made my words like a sharp sword. He hid me in his shadow of his hand. He made me like a sharpened arrow. He hid me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant Israel. I will be glorified in him. But I myself said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and futility. Yet my vindication is with the Lord. And my reward is with my God. And now, says the Lord, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, so that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honoured in the sight of the Lord, and my God is my strength. He says, it is not enough for you to be my servant, raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel. I will also make you a light for the nations to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, his Holy One, says to one who is despised, to one abhorred by people, to a servant of rulers. Kings will see and stand up and princes will bow down because of the Lord who is faithful to the Holy One of Israel and he has chosen you. This is what the Lord says, I will answer you in a time of favour, and I will help you in the day of salvation. I will keep you, and I will appoint you to be a covenant for the people, to restore the land, to make them possess the desolate inheritances, saying to the prisoners, come out, and to those who are in darkness, show yourselves. They will feed along the pathways, and their pastures will be on all the barren heights. They will not hunger or thirst. The scorching heat or sun will not strike them, for their compassionate one will guide them and lead them to springs of water. I will make all my mountains into a road and my, ro- and my highways will be raised up. See, these will come from far away, from the north and from the west and from the land of Sinim. Shout for joy, you heavens, and earth rejoice. Mountains break into joyful shouts, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. This is the word of the Lord. The next reading is from John chapter 17 verses 13 to 26, and can be found on page 996 of the Holman Bibles. Now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world, so that they may have my joy completed in them. I have given them your word. The world hated them, because they are not of the world, as I am not of the world. I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, and I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. 
your word is truth. You sent me into the world. I also have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them, so they also may be sanctified by the truth. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their message. May they all be one, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be one in us, so the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me. May may they be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they be made completely one, so the world may know you have sent me, and I have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire those you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they will see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you, however I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them, and you will make it known, so the love you have loved me with may be in them, and I may be in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Prasanna and Paulina. If you could keep that uh, second reading open at John 17, that would be great. Um, In January, uh, we've been moving through uh, four sort of key disciplines of the Christian life, um, prayer, Bible, church, and this week, evangelism. How do you you feel um, when I say the word evangelism, like talking to people about Jesus? Or if I were to say, uh, how about you come with us after church? We're going to go down to Bradfield Park and witness to Jesus. How are you feeling? Does the word privileged come to mind? Um, My aim this evening is, is that you'd be reminded, or perhaps shown for the first time, that it is a real privilege to be able to witness to Jesus, to be able to speak to the world about Jesus. So that's kind of our points this evening, is just the privilege of witnessing to Jesus, the power of witnessing to Jesus, and then finally the practice of witnessing to Jesus. Um, now, I don't naturally, personally, think of, of witnessing and evangelism as a privilege. I, I get a little bit nervous. It's not my strong point, I guess you could say. But as I've been preparing this week, I've actually been convinced in my head that this is true. It is a privilege one thing to be convinced in your head, it's another thing to have your heart changed and your actions changed. Um, only God can do that work. So let's begin by praying. Father, we um, confess that we are often slow uh, to speak of Jesus. It doesn't make any sense. It's the saviour of the world, as we've sung. Father, please do forgive us for that slowness. Please now convince us of the truth of the gospel the power of the gospel. And so convince us of the privilege of being able to speak of Jesus to a world that so desperately needs to hear of him. Father, convince us in our heads, change our hearts, open our mouths, and may you be glorified through your people. For your glory's sake, amen. So first, the privilege of witnessing to Jesus. Uh, When it comes to evangelism, witnessing this kind of stuff, Jesus is the gold standard. So from our first reading, Isaiah 49, he is, verse 6, the light of the nations, my salvation to the ends of the earth. Jesus came as a witness. 
He showed us exactly what God is like. So in, in chapter 17 of John, verse 26, he says, Father, I made your name known. He's a witness to God. He's the great evangelist. He came preaching good news. Remember what he preached? The kingdom of God is near. He didn't just announce this kingdom, though, did he? He, he kind of was the kingdom. He, he was the king who had arrived. He came into this dark world under the rule of sin and death. And he proclaimed a new kingdom. There's a new kingdom coming. A kingdom of hope and peace and life. And wherever he went, he didn't just proclaim that this kingdom was coming. He brought the kingdom with him. Wherever Jesus went, peace came along with him and life. It was like the sun kind of melting the snow. He was like wherever he went, the sun shone and melted the snow and brought forth the new flowers of spring. Wherever Jesus went, he drew back the power of sin and death. And ultimately, in his death and empty tomb, he shattered sin, death, Satan's power forever. This is the context we've got, we've got to be thinking in when we think about witnessing and evangelism. That, that there are two kingdoms. The default kingdom of our world is the kingdom of death. It's a great day, Australia Day, but Australia by default is part of this kingdom. It's, it's in this kingdom. Jesus proclaims another kingdom, the, the other, the only other alternative. He is the ark against a world that is being flooded. He brings in the kingdom of hope and peace and life. And then, well, then he sends us out to announce this kingdom. He came as the gold standard of witness and evangelism. Chapter 17, up until the point of chapter 17 in John, I should say, he's been going about doing that. He's been the witness. But then we get to this point in John 17 when he hands on the baton. So chapter 17, verse 18, Jesus is praying to his Father and he prays, As you sent me into the world to witness and announce, I've also sent them into the world. Friends, this is our privilege to announce to a world in need that a new king has come. A new kingdom is here, and you can be part of it. Um, have you ever been uh, driving down a road and, and seen someone dressed up in some ridiculous costume, waving a sign, you know, trying to sell something? Do you know those people? Like the guy, he's kind of dressed up in a chicken costume, he's got this big sign selling some deal on fried chicken. Do you know what I mean? Am I the only one who's seen these things? A few, yeah, we know. Okay, all right. Um, and, you know, you feel sorry for this kid. You know, he's 14, he's on minimum wages, you know what I mean. And you, you just, you want to bring the RSPCA, there's a chicken here being treated very badly. <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a sign holder in the Bible, and he was dressed up funny as well. But you know what he thought of his job? He was flabbergasted. He thought he was not worthy to hold this sign. In a word, he, he felt privileged. John the Baptist, he, he was a sign holder for Jesus, 
pointing to this king, this, this bringer of a new kingdom. And check out what he has to say. I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is more powerful than I. I'm not worthy to untie the straps of his sandals. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Back in Jesus' day, um, a pupil would do anything that the rabbi said. You want a drink? Just have mine. Uh, you want to walk on me? I'm lying down. You know? But there was one general rule, which was kind of generally acknowledged and written down. Do anything that your rabbi says except untying the straps of his sandals. Uh, that, that's considered too low, a bit gross. But here is John the Baptist saying, I'm not even worthy to do that. I'm not even worthy to serve this king in the lowest way. I can't do that. I'm not worthy. Well, friends, if he's not worthy, are you worthy? Are you worthy to serve Jesus? And yet, mystery of mysteries, he sends us. Jesus, the king, involves us in bringing in his kingdom. What a privilege. We're not worthy to serve him, and yet he involves us. He takes us as sinners, raises us up, forgives us, shows us grace, and gives us a sign. To point to him. To point to the king. So that more people in our world might come out of the default kingdom of sin and death, the kingdom that's being destroyed. And they might see Jesus, come to him, and know life in him. That's our privilege. Well, remember why John thought it was a privilege? He said, because this guy who's coming after me is more powerful than me. And that kind of takes us to the second point, the power of witnessing to Jesus. You might be familiar with uh, the verse Romans 1.16 where the Apostle Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's God's power for salvation to all who believe. I'm not ashamed. Why? Because it's God's power. Brothers and sisters, are you ever ashamed? You know, you're watching television and this like, smart guy in a lab coat comes on and talks about how irrational your faith is. Or you're in the office and this guy tells this wise crack about Jesus and the church and everyone's laughing. If we don't want to be ashamed, we need to be reminded of the power of this gospel. And so I want to do that. Uh, in, in Mark chapter 3, Jesus gathers a bunch of disciples and he's about to send them out. But before he does, he prepares them by showing them his power. That's what they need to know before they go out. And so I'll show you three quick scenes. Um, the first one, the disciples are in a tiny boat in a massive storm and they're petrified. Uh, they think they're going to die. But Jesus stands up and with a word, brings peace to the, to the chaos. Well, well, they cross on that boat to the other side of the lake, and they're greeted by this 
madman, this demoniac, who not even chains can, can bind. And yet this guy just runs to Jesus and falls down desperately. And Jesus, with a word, sets him free, sends the evil away, and brings peace to this guy. Scene three, they cross back to the other side of the lake, and the synagogue ruler comes to Jesus and says, my daughter's dying, please, come and heal her. Well, she dies. He doesn't make it. But then, with a word, he reaches down and brings her from death to life. And then, chapter 6, Jesus says, Okay, my followers, now you've seen it. Go out and proclaim that God's powerful kingdom of peace And life has arrived because I am here. Do do you see that, friends? We've got these powerless disciples, just fishermen, tax collectors, normal people. Powerful message. And friends, that message is still at work. This powerful message is still at work today, is it not? I've been at a conference this week in the southwest of Sydney trying to help Christians read the Bible better, basically. Uh, And I met some awesome people. Uh, I want to tell you about Bill. I think I've got Bill's photo up here. Bill's uh, 74, lives in Smithfield, um, who's a fitter and turner by trade. He basically hated Christians. When he was about 30, he moved out of Smithfield, moved into town, and, you know, kind of lived it up. Basically spent his time going from work working on coffee machines, to getting drunk, back again. When he was about 33, he hit rock bottom. There's one night and he's lying in, in his bathroom, basically vomiting his guts up into the toilet. If he had a knife handy, he said he would have slit his wrists. But he calls out at that moment, God, save me. And in that moment, He did. Bill felt this burden slip from his shoulders and peace and hope come flooding in to take the place of all the darkness. The next day, Bill went to work, told the people at work that he was a Christian now and he's never turned back. You see, Bill was literally saved from destruction. Like, like physically, but also he was saved from hell. God wrenched open his eyes, brought him out of a kingdom of darkness, and brought him into the kingdom of the son he loves. And Bill suddenly, like that, had hope and peace and a future, forgiveness, glory. Friends, do you think that powerful gospel could do the same kind of thing for your friends? Is it possible that it could do that for your family members, your work colleagues? You know, I used to wish um, that I was um, a murdering drug addict who saw the light with my head down a toilet or something. Do you know what I mean? Like this great transformation, this exciting thing. Uh, 
I've since changed my mind. Um, but when I stop and think about it, that is me. I went from being a hell-bound goody-two-shoes to being a heaven-bound sinner. And he's been at work in me. Has he been at work in you? Moving me from being a proud person to being a slightly less proud person. From being angry to being a bit less angry. He's made me love comfort less. He's changed me by the powerful word of Jesus. Friends, could he do that? For your work colleagues, for your friends. And it's not just individuals that God's changing. I want to tell you a little bit about um, a town in Mexico whose name I can't pronounce. Um, San Juan Cuauhtémoc. That sounds a bit Japanese or something, doesn't it? I'm sorry. This is a town about 20 years ago. The, the children in this town were being just neglected, not looked after. This town was full of fear and violence. I'm told that hopelessness was kind of like thick in the air in this town. But then a church moves in. Starts educating the kids, caring for them, teaching them about Jesus. And hope started to grow in this place. Violence kind of subsided. I'm told this town is a totally different place now. Just 15, 20 years, it's totally transformed. Friends, do you hear what I'm trying to say? The gospel's powerful. It changes things. You know, we, we get overawed by powerful things in this world, like the, the CEO and News Limited and Apple. You know, they're changing the world. Really? I mean, who cares if you can take a picture a little more easily? Do you know what I mean? The gospel is changing the world. Really? Could it change your family, your workplace? Could it change that ugly relational situation that you're caught up in? You know what um, the Apostle Paul calls Christians? Lots of different things, but in 2 Corinthians 5, new creations. You know, when Jesus, uh, sorry, well, yeah, Jesus, I'll use that word. God, when he was creating, he created with a word, Jesus. But you know, he, he just spoke things into existence. New galaxy, there it is. Paul's saying something equivalent is happening when someone becomes a Christian. New creation. So so someone hears the word of Jesus. And when they believe, new creation. And friends, that's happening around the world at the moment. Like thousands of people a day. New creation. Right now, as we sit here. New creation. It's happening. And this is where we come back to the privilege. God is using people like you and me to make that happen. Isn't that unbelievable? So that sometimes you may speak a word about Jesus. And by God's grace and in his power... New creation. 
through your words, someone moves from the kingdom of death to the kingdom of light eternally. Isn't that ridiculous? Unbelievable. What a privilege. Well, friends, I hope you're kind of moderately convinced that that is a privilege. I want to just move now and talk about um, the practice, the practice of witnessing to Jesus. Um, the most common question I get asked um, about, you know, when it comes to witnessing to Jesus is, uh, is this one. How can I do it and it not be awkward? Do you know what I mean? How can I talk about Jesus and it not be awkward? Well, I've, I've got the answer for you, actually. If you want to write it down, uh, feel free. Uh, it's just two words. You can't. Turn with me to John 17. John 17, verse 14. Jesus is praying once again. I have given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world as I am not of the world. I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world as I am not of the world. Here's a true story. There was once a king whose subjects hated him. They rebelled against him. The king sent ambassadors to these rebels. Do you know how they they treated the ambassadors? True story, that's us. Jesus is the king. The world has rebelled against him. It doesn't want to be reminded who the king is. And we are his ambassadors. We are in this world that has rebelled against him. Not of the world, not of the world, like Jesus says, but but in the world. And so Jesus says, you're going to go out like sheep among wolves. Now, sheep are not well known for being the most intelligent of creatures. Um, But sometimes they're smarter than us. You see, I have never known a sheep, well, I've never known a sheep, but I've never known a sheep. (laughs) Have you known a sheep? I've never known a sheep to to look at a bunch of wolves and think to themselves, I think we'll get on, you know? I think we're on the same page. But we do. We think for some reason that that the wolves who don't love Jesus are going to be all all happy with us. They're all, all nice. They'll all be good. We get surprised when the wolves bite. Friends, the people at work or in your family or your friends who don't know Jesus, they might be the nicest people in the world. They might be nicer than you. They probably are. I don't know. But unless God does a work in their heart, which he may, which he may, but unless God does a work in their heart, they don't want to hear about Jesus. You're telling rebels to turn back to the king. It's going to be awkward, right? And so, here's my advice. In fact, this was advice that was given to me. Embrace the awkwardness. Just embrace it. It's going to be there. Remember the privilege. Remember the power. And just embrace the awkwardness. And then get on with it. How? How do you get on with it? Well, I'm glad you asked. 
We're going to get a bit more practical now, hopefully. (laughs) When it comes to actually witnessing, sharing the gospel, sometimes we do it as a team, sometimes we do it as individuals. Uh, Has anyone been watching the tennis this summer? One person. Oh, two, a few more, a few more, great. Uh, You know, tennis, summer in Australia, it's tennis and cricket. But I was watching uh, the Brisbane International while I was on holidays. I saw Leighton Hewitt doing his thing. Uh, I was once mistaken to be Leighton Hewitt. Just... See? I was in a service station. I didn't take advantage of the situation. Oh, well. But after Leighton had won the final, and I know this happens in all the tennis tournaments, he got to have a little speech. And he says, I just want to thank my team. I didn't know tennis was a team sport, but it is. You know, he's talking about this massive team that he's got. I don't know what they're all doing. Ball polisher, massage therapist, I don't know. Anyway, my point is, there's this whole team of people that you don't even see on the court. But they're all there so that one guy can hit the ball. Friends, sometimes that's how we do it. Sometimes that's how we do our witnessing. All the members of the body use their gifts so that a couple of people can hit the ball, can actually talk about Jesus with people. So so we support these mission partners who go after other countries. We support Dave Irving in, in Canberra. We pray for him, give him money, care for him so that he can speak. Please do keep doing that. Please keep praying for Dave and for Stephen and for our other mission partners. And then in our neighborhood, some people, uh, so that we can take the, the message to the neighborhood, some people make meals, look after kids, or push furniture around so that others can speak about Jesus. So sometimes, sometimes we work as a team. But others of us, at other times, we speak as individuals. We're each called to be ready to share the reason that we, that we have hope for, to share the reason for our hope. Sometimes we all uh, get a chance to hit the ball. Uh, and this is awesome, friends. If, if we just did everything together as a team, we could only do a few things in a few places. But, but look around. Tomorrow and Tuesday, the gospel through each of these ambassadors here, is going to go everywhere, all sorts of places in Sydney. That's terrific. Each of you have the opportunity, the privilege, to speak powerful words about Jesus. Now, now some of us, um, we want to leave the talking to the professionals. You know, I, I can't speak about Jesus like they can. Well, you don't have to. In fact, it's probably good that you don't speak like the professionals. People don't want to be preached at. Just speak honestly. You're called to witness. I'm no barrister. I've never actually been in a courtroom. But my understanding is that when the barrister's kind of questioning a witness, they don't ask them questions from a textbook. You know, prove Maxwell's equations or something, you know. All they expect is for the witness to speak honestly about what they know. Same goes for us, friends. 
Just speak honestly about what you know of Jesus, your experience of him. At my old church, uh, they were convinced that they couldn't share the gospel. So I asked them, what do you love about Jesus? And this beautiful older lady called Liz pipes up and says, that he loves me no matter what. Great! That's the gospel. (laughs) That might not answer all the tricky questions people throw at you. But that's witnessing. When someone asks you one of those tricky questions, can I encourage you, speak honestly. I don't know. That's what it might involve. Then go and ask some Christian nerd and then come back and carry on the conversation. Gives you another bite at the cherry. Friends, I just want to... um, make three really practical kind of points about how to, how to do this witnessing thing on your own. Three things. The first is, invite them to church. You'll be amazed how many people say yes. Statistics are amazing. I can't remember what it is, but it's some crazy number. 60% or something? They'll come to church. Second, say small things about Jesus often. Small things often. Third thing, pray for people. Pray for individuals. Helps us to be really intentional. You might want to join one of the City Bible Forum uh, evangelical, uh, evangelistic prayer groups. I don't know if you have one of them in your workplace. On that last point, friends, we must pray. This is God's work. He's the one drawing people out of a kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We are just his privileged partners in this. We must pray. Well, I thought I'd just conclude by telling you a bit more of Bill's story. Um, Because I think this kind of draws a few threads together. Can we get the photo of Bill back again? Such a beautiful man. Yeah, excellent. Because so many things happened to bring Bill to Jesus. When he was very young, a family moved in next door to him, a Christian family, and they invited him to Sunday school, actually dragged him to Sunday school. And then for years, like decades, they prayed for Bill. When he went to Sunday school, uh, the teachers spoke faithfully about Jesus. Bill said that whenever he got a different job, wherever he went, there was always someone there speaking about Jesus. Not Bible bashing, just kind of, you know, talking about Jesus. They were obviously a Christian. In his last job, the one when he was, uh, became a Christian, the guy sitting next to him actually sang hymns, which bothered him no end. After Bill was converted, there was a bunch of Christians at work ready to disciple him, tell him how to, how to live as a Christian. And then as a one-week-old Christian, he, he'd... Uh, he kept bothering his, his drunken roommate for a week, every day, until he agreed to come to church. When he came to church, he met Jesus as well. A few weeks later, Bill went home to visit his parents in Smithfield. He dropped in next door to this family. He told me he'll never forget the scene. As he knocks on the door, and this the father of the family, who's by now bit old, comes to the door and Bill tells him, I've become a Christian. 
And Bill said this guy just burst into tears, completely overjoyed. You see, friends, that man, he got it. This is so significant. There are two kingdoms. We've been entrusted with a message to bring people out of death and into life. What a privilege. Can I pray for us? Father, I just want to thank you for your outstanding love for this world. We were in darkness. We, we turned against you. And yet in your grace, you sent Jesus to open up the way to a whole new, a new option, a, a new life, a new kingdom. Father, sometimes we think you're crazy to entrust this message to people like us. But you have. You've honored us. Father, help us to see it for what it is, powerful. Help us to see ourselves as privileged. And then, Father, work in our hearts that we would open our mouths, that we would use our time and efforts for your glory's sake to spread the good news that more people would come to know life in you. Amen.